My guest on this week's episode of Suds and Search is Andy Jarvis, Strategy Director at XML Marketing. Andy is one of my favorite conference presenters. We filmed this conversation a few weeks before Andy keynoted the Brighton SEO conference. He hosts a really excellent podcast called Strategy Sessions, and he also frequently guests lectures at universities throughout Northern Ireland, including his alma mater, Ulster University. He's a must-follow on social media. If you're not following him already, check him out on Twitter at the handle Andy Jarvis. Remember, Andy is spelled with an I at the end. We have a lot of guests on Suds and Search who are good at a specific thing, link building, Facebook ads, or technical SEO, for instance. Andy is really good at something that's a little more holistic. He's a strategist. Good tactics without a good strategy seldom work out well. A strategist's expertise lies in their ability to humbly listen to the person paying the bills to make sure that tactics are aligned with goals and that everyone involved in a project is rowing in the same direction. I love marketing strategy, and so it was a real treat to sit down with someone who has Andy's level of expertise. Grab something cold to drink and join me for a conversation with Andy Jarvis. We'll talk about academically trained marketers vis-a-vis self-taught marketers. He'll tell me a little bit about destination marketing, and I'll see if I can get Andy to tell one of his famous dad jokes. All right, Andy Jarvis, welcome to Susan Search. How are you doing? I am top of the world. Thank you for having me, Mark. I'm really excited for this one. Well, you know, preparing for it, I, I noticed we have a lot of guests who are very good about talking tactically. They can have people who are link building experts, for instance, or mm-hmm. know how to do a site audit really well or run LinkedIn ads. But you're really a specialist in marketing strategy. We're, we're talking about something, I think, a little bit more holistic and less uh, blocking and tackling. Tell our audience a little bit about Eczema Marketing and what you guys specialize in. Yeah, so um, I'm glad you didn't ask me any questions related to those things you mentioned at the beginning, like site audits, LinkedIn ads, because I can't do any of that. Um, I, there was a time maybe when I could, but I, I think what I learned over the years, I'm, I've been in marketing 20 years now and sort of started tactically and kind of work my way through. And there's a point, I think, in a lot of marketers' careers where you you kind of sat in a meeting, usually a meeting that's not going too well, and you start to think, well, hold on, everything we've done has been brilliant. We've done all the bits we said we were going to do. We've achieved the things we thought we were going to achieve by doing these things. And yet there's still a very angry person at the other side of the table demanding more from us or wanting to know why. And, And I started to, I was in far too many of those meetings in my agency days. And when I started to look at what that was, the problem was the strategy wasn't right. So the tactics can be as great as you want. You can be delivering, you yeah. can be knocking it out of the park. And if you haven't got that bit right, right. then everything else is wrong. And I, I think if you're in an agency, or, or even if you're in, in-house really, the phrase you often hear is, we're not aligned, or this activity is not aligned. And when you start to right. hear the word, we're misaligned or not aligned, or you're not aligning with us, that was the sort of starting point in me going, well, why aren't we aligned? Okay, well, there's this strategy thing. Okay, well, why aren't we aligned with that? How, we didn't even know what that was. Oh, right, okay, you didn't tell us that, but now we're being kicked for getting it wrong. So over the years, over the last 10 years, I, I went back to, to university or to school, as, as you guys call it over there, um, and, and studied um, a postgrad in marketing and started asking more questions, talking to more people, reading some different things, and kind of built out a strategy process and started getting to the place. And and now I suppose the way I see it is strategy is where you're going. Tactics is how you're going to get there. That's kind of the tri- the simple way I try and explain it to people. Well, I, I, first of all, I can't believe you've been in marketing 20 years. You look too young for that. I started um, at the age of five. That's all it was. <laughs> exactly. So, 
but really, you know, a lot of this stuff is getting, understanding the essence of the business, uh, you know, getting down into the, into the details. There are a lot of stakeholders that you have to get in touch with. There's a lot of information together. It sounds really challenging. Um, you know, it sounds daunting almost when you're, when you're starting an engagement with a client, what are the kind of first two or three steps to start to eat that elephant one bite at a time? So I, I say to clients, one of the things in the sales process right, is that a lot of the time they bring me in as a, a marketing strategist because they want answers. They have problems and, and they need an answer. So often the sales are going up nicely, but there's a new board or, or, or a new somebody who wants sales to go up in double digits. Or sales are going down and they want to stop that and they want to bring them back. Or there's a new product to launch and they need a lot of sales. They're, they're kind of the three key times I often get engaged. And, you know, I know I'm being brought in to give clients answers. And, and I say as part of the sales process, look, I'm here to ask questions, not to give you answers. Well, not initially anyway, because 90% of the time, most of what you need to know is in the organization anyway, right? And you just need to pull it and streamline it and get it out of people in, in a systematic way. So to me, I start by asking, by, by spending days and days and days just asking questions, listening that sort of newbie benefit where you can go, okay, well, why do you do that? Well, what's the benefit of that? And has that worked before? And what, how do we know that? How can we prove that to be true? And just asking a lot of those questions, but I have a process for it. And I think that the easy answer to the, the question you asked is that there's two foundation stones to this, to this process for me. And that is, what does your company do and, and who do they do it for? And if you can yeah. answer those two questions really succinctly, everything else becomes much, much easier from a strategic point of view. And it sounds really, 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 really simple. But you'd be amazed the number of times you say to companies, so what is it you do? And then 30 minutes later, you're still sat there going, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Uh -huh. yeah. And you're like, right, so if it's taken you half an hour and six people to answer this, right, you've got 150 staff out there and only 20 of them work in this building. How do they all know what you're doing? How do all of your customers know what you do if it's taken the CEO, the CFO, the CMO, and the, the C whatever, or half an hour to answer that question? So let's boil that down first. Who do you do it for? Everybody. No. You don't do it for everybody. <laughs> oh, you know, so you, you kind of get those two things right. And almost everything else you do is just the connection between those two things. So that that's, tends to be where I start. What do you do? Who do you do it for? Get that down. Get it nailed really tightly. Everything else becomes much easier after that. That's interesting. Yeah, and I, I can imagine the challenge. So uh, the other thing you mentioned early on is this, you have this academic background that I thought was really interesting. And you, you mentioned it here already. You have a master's degree in marketing. You focus... A lot of the, the content on your site is about academic findings and academic rigor that you bring to the table. Yeah. Um, you know, you actually spend time, it, it appears, at colleges and universities lecturing students. So something clearly, uh, I couldn't wait to get out of school. Something about school must have appealed to you. But, you know, many of our many of our guests, I think, talk about their professional lives and whatever's going on in their agency is kind of what shapes them. Mm -hmm. And that's what they come on here and talk about. How have you been able to take what you've learned from the, the university world, the academic world, and bring it to your agency and help clients? I think there's um, an experience factor, right? And, and I, I, as you mentioned, I, I do some guest lecturing at a couple of universities and, and, and teach some of the next generation of students. And, and I know from my experience 
you go through a learning curve. You, you don't become a, a, a great strategist. I'm not saying I am, but you don't become a great strategist at 21 by coming straight out of school, right? You, you have to learn that. You have to see a little bit of the world and work out what's going on. So yeah. I, I, I think you, so I understand that, that, that it's, a, it's a journey that, that you go on. But what I find with the academic background is that it gives you structure and understanding and process. And when you're in an agency, when you're in a consultancy, and I, I tend to say consultancy more than agency, but look, it doesn't really matter. But when, when you're in the job of working and helping other people's businesses, right, you're in the job of selling structure. Everyone can come up with a good idea right. once, right? Any idiot can do that. What your job is, is to repeatedly do this over and over again for different clients, often in the same sector, sometimes in different sectors, different challenges, different parts of their business cycle. And even if you only operate in one sector, um, you might get a client that's just launching in that sector. Or you might be working with the market leader in that sector who's been there 50 years and is the established number mm -hmm. one. You might as well be marketing two different things. Right? Even though it's the same sector, you might as well be doing two different things because you've got two different sets of problems. So you've got to have a repeatable process. Academia teaches you that. And I always think, I, I've yet to be proven wrong, although with all these things, you always are proven wrong at some point. I can tell when I go and work with marketing teams and when I, I partner with agencies sometimes and go and work with clients through them as well. I can tell within about an hour of the people who've got formal marketing training and the people who are self-taught. Now that's not. Uh, I, I'm yeah. not. Um, I'm not criticizing self-taught people. There are there are fantastic marketers out there who are self-taught. What I find is that the self-taught people tend to gravitate into tactical disciplines and, and deliver them superbly, much much better than I could. Um, and and the, the sort of the marketing people with an academic background tend to end up floating in different directions. But just to be absolutely clear on that, I'm not saying one is better than the other. I have a big bugbear in my yeah. life that. Um, uh, can I say assholes on this podcast? Sure, yeah, absolutely, it's already, it's already yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Well, look, most, most, not, a lot of strategists are assholes, right? Because strategists have this inflated view of self-importance that we are, um, oh, we are fantastic. We are the important ones. We do the big work, which helps set direction for everything. Therefore, what we do is much more important than the tactics bit, right? So, therefore, you need an academic background. You need to learn. You need to do this, and if you do that, you can be this fantastically important strategist. It's bullshit, right? It's just rubbish. Because yeah. great strategy without tactics is just an expensive piece of paper. Great tactics without strategy yeah. takes you in the wrong direction. You, both parts are equally yeah. as important. So I'm not saying you have to have a marketing degree. I'm not saying you have to go and spend that time and that money. There are so many things that you learn by not being in university and just being in work and doing and trying and learning, right? Oh, yeah. But we can do both. It doesn't have to be either or, right? I'm like, right. go and get that background, yeah. but go and learn as well and go and get on the job and roll your sleeves up yeah. and get involved. So it's not one's better than the other, but I do believe that marketing training is a really important thing for marketers to have. Well, I love it. All right. Well, very interesting. I, I also noticed that you are the guy that agency principals go to, to learn how to run their, their agency more effectively. And as an agency owner, I selfishly wanted to ask you a bunch of questions and get some free consulting here. Uh, but you, you, have a, you have a program for agency principals. You, you help them learn. Tell us about how you, how you work with agencies. I, um, uh, so so I, I have a, I've worked with a couple of agencies that have done, I've worked in a couple of agencies that 
did very similar growth mm. patterns and made a, a ton of mistakes that um, uh, that we could probably help other people shortcut right by by understanding that. And one of the things I think as agencies start to grow, so if you think of the classic agency growth trajectory, you've got someone who is uh, a subject matter expert who decides to go on their own. And they maybe do that, or there's one, two, yep. three of them, and they're working from a bedroom or a small office. And they become great at what they do. They get more work. They need to put more people in. They put other experts in, and they just, they intuitively know. They, they're, they're experienced. They see a lot of things. They've done it before. You walk into a client, they can get hold of the problem quite quickly and work out what the answer is and solve the problem. Wonderful. That doesn't scale. Right? It doesn't scale. You get to a point where you start to look at the numbers and you need juniors to come in. Juniors haven't got that experience. And, mm-hmm. and then you get to a point, usually about 10 pits. So every time you grow, you go through a growth phase. So when you get to usually somewhere around 10 people, everything that got you to 10 people will not get you any further, right? It will probably hamper your growth and will fall, yeah. cause everything to fall over. When you get from sort of 10 to 25, 30, the same thing happens again. And from 30 to about 60-ish, and then the thing breaks again. So where I've been is that sort of 10 to 25 growth phase and seeing the problems that happen by, and, and it almost always boils down to trying to use the process that got you to 10 people to get you to 25. Yeah. And yeah. you assume you have an assumed knowledge within your people that they just don't have you and you expect them to know and, ex- and yeah. expect them to do. And what happens then is that you have the agency principal gets sucked back into the business because they're the one who knows what they're doing and you never get on this growth trajectory. So it's about taking that strategic first approach and saying, right, okay, how do we get better information out of the clients so that we can do the work better? Or if we're trying to expand our services from say, um, PPC into SEO or from social into search or whatever that is, how, how do we get them to give us the information that we can do? So it mainly goes back to the same thing. It's about how do you ask the questions in a way that works for your organization and and what do you do there? So it's it's a bit of a sideline, if I'm honest. It's something I just enjoy doing. I love working with agencies. It gets you, it's exciting, it's fun. It's kind of, as I say, growth path I've been on before. And I've done it with a couple of agencies, always good fun. And I'll probably keep doing it, but it's a, it's definitely a sidetrack, but one that I really, really enjoy. No, I love it. And I, I definitely think scaling up the agency is the hardest thing. It's It's strange. We're at a point now where it's like, Getting new customers, getting new clients is still a challenge, still a big focus for us. But, you know, work, you know, keeping this, the quality of the work high, retaining clients, retaining employees, yeah. trying to, to scale this up, build a management layer. These are all the challenges. It's, it really is what it is. And recruitment's a full-time job. I don't know what the, the employer market yes. like is like in, uh, in the U.S. at the minute, but here in the U.K. and Ireland, it is really competitive. You know, salary inflation is going wild. Very. And as an you know, organizations are looking at this going, well, how do we keep people? And you go, that's okay, but how do you keep the right people? And then how do you recruit them? When they, and you know, you can't just keep throwing money at people. You pay them what they're worth, but you got to find a way to attract talent as well. And that's a compl- that's a whole full time job. And if you're trying to do that as well as kind of being the savior on the horse, riding into it's all right, client, I'll solve this problem, and then you ride. <laughs> You can't do all of these things. You know, you, there's 24 hours in a day and seven days in a week and nobody wants to be working all of them, right? So you've got to find a way to unhook yourself from some of it to allow your time to do other bits of it. 
All right. Well, I, I want to do another another question that was near and dear to my heart was about destination marketing. I've never had a guest on to talk about destination marketing. And the reason I'm, I'm passionate about this, this show that we're on is really about my neighborhood. So it was uh, Suds and Searches about all these agencies in the neighborhood and microbreweries. That's all we had there. And so the agency people would meet in the breweries and that would be where the best conversations happened. And that's why we that's why we, we made it a podcast. I want to come so to your neighborhood. I love uh, I lo- <laughs> Sorry, it's, a, it's a, like this this beer here is like was right across the street beguile brewery so um you know destination marketing the idea as i understand it is that more and more things are being done online this comes at the expense of the city center the downtown the main street whatever you want to call it and that there's more factors coming in like covid and everything else to shut down the the, the town center um but there are marketing could help the des- the destination market could help the city center thrive and come back and do better. How does this concept work? How, how, how do you do destination marketing? I've never done it. Before. So it, it's, it, it's something, one of those areas that I kind of fell into almost because I'd done, I, um, I, I'd worked on some tourism marketing with a client in my agency. And when I left there, I was doing some work with, um, a, a, a cultural organization who recommended me into something. And, it sort of got recommended into another part, another part, and then all of a sudden I was doing a destination marketing for certain places, another place, another place. And, and I think one of the key things I, I work on in every sector I work with, with every type of client, is the key thing I always say is you've got to focus, right? And that's really difficult when you're doing destination marketing because everybody has a view, everybody has a, an area of concern and everyone thinks that the thing that they worry about is the most important thing. So you think of any any city, any destination, any area, whatever, right? And you, you've got to say, let's, let's pick a, an area of a city. So you've got like, I don't know, downtown Chicago or something like that, right? You've got mm-hmm. um, office workers who you might want to attract to come and, and work there, but also you want them to go out after work mm-hmm. and you know spend in restaurants and spend in bars and things like that. You've got a family audience that who you, you want to attract because they come at different times. They come at weekends and they spend money in different places and have different times. You've got maybe seniors who can come down during the weekdays and, and kind of really fill in the cracks of people's income by spending during the day when actually a lot of people aren't spending. So, oh, that's brilliant. But then you've got out-of-towners who you want to come for holidays and you want them to stay. But in the U.S. as well, you've got kind of um, folks coming from other parts of Illinois to come into Chicago. Then you've got out-of-state guests and then you've probably got kind of way yes. out of state guests as like those weirdos on the West Coast who you might want to attract <laughs> at some point to spend their money. Then you've got international guests and you start looking at all of these different groups of people, all right? And you go, which, which one of those is the most important? And one group says workers and someone else goes out of towners and someone else goes overseas tourists and the tourist board wants you to attract um, foreign investment, and the, but the local community want Canadians to come because they come at different holidays and spend more money and you've got all of these things. And what happens is nobody makes a decision. So then you look at any piece of video. Video is the best place to look at this, right? Look for any destination anywhere in the world. Look at their promo video. And it's just a mess of someone's been sick into video and gone, here's what it is. And what they've done is they've picked every target customer from every possible group and there's 10 seconds of them in a 90 second ad. You know, there's the smiling older couple, there's the family, there's the, and it, it's just tokenism gone, gone mad. 
And then they go, oh, we, we haven't really achieved our goals of tourism or additional spend or this, that, and the other. Or maybe they have, but there's no way you can prove any of it was down to anything you've done as marketing. And, yeah. you know, it's really, wow. really difficult because there's so much going on. So the, the, the thing I do with, with, with destination marketing is say, right, what do we focus on? What information can we find? What, what's the data that suggests this is the group we go number one, this is the group number two, number three, and everything else after that? We just have to say goodbye to this year. We, our focus for this year yeah. is these groups of people, and let's build it out from there. Now, to be honest, that I think destination marketing is probably closer to being a politician than it is to being a marketer because it's all about stakeholder management. When you've got a group of people who are in museums screaming at you saying, "Why aren't you targeting families?" <laughs> and you've got a you've got a, a thing in your hand, but you're looking at the data going because the people we're targeting spend ten times more every day every time they come. Yeah. But to them, that's their business that you're not supporting. So, you know, it's a very politician-style right. role. You know, you feel like you've got a job at the United Nations in destination marketing. You're like, that. when I retire from marketing, I'm going to work for the UN because that, that's the sort of job you can bounce straight from there into that. I, I like that. I like that very much. Well, listen, one last question about, about strategy and marketing strategy specifically. So there's a lot of this question and answer period that you go on, you go through, um, there's a lot of foundational stuff that you're building. And then I liked how you put it. You're going to connect all these things. How do you make sure that after you've developed a strategy, that the strategy is uh, you've, you've done this hard work that you mentioned, that it actually gets implemented, yeah. that, that, that we, the rubber meets the road and people actually do what the strategy is supposed to be done. What tips or strategies do you have for, for that? Yeah. So no, look, this, this is um, the bit I probably got wrong most of all when I first launched was that it's like, I have this wonderful piece of paper. Nobody did anything with it, right? So how do we, how do we bring it into life? <laughs> right, exactly. So um, yeah. Tom yeah. Critchlaw, who is a, an independent consultant as well, I used to talk about strategy and execution. He introduced me to the phrase strategy and stewardship. And that's about um, sort of being the steward for its, uh, its execution rather than being on deck, all hands on deck for it. Um, but there's a, there's a couple of practical tips that I came up with. That, that the first one is that I deliver to clients a one-page marketing strategy. Now, I learned the hard way. I once presented, I think it was about 73 pages to a client over about four hours of this marketing strategy. And do you know what? Everything in there was absolute genius. It was probably the biggest and best piece of work I've ever done. And I can tell you now, the client did not care. And they thought, thanks very much, paid the invoice, and I haven't spoken to them since, right? They were like, oh my God, what is this guy talking about? And I'll boil it down to one page, right? And on that page, I've got the answer to four or five things. Who are we targeting? Why are they going to buy from us? What are our objectives for this year? Uh, and what's the main problem we're solving for the organization this year? So that might be, um, so say if you're a, a bricks and mortar retailer who is trying to launch online, your, your year one challenge is probably all about brand awareness, um, getting, your, getting the site's SEO sorted so you, that you're gonna rank organically. And you've got kind of different challenges. If that's a year four company, the big challenge you might be solving this year might be retention or loyalty or something like that. So kind of have that on. So who are you targeting? Why are they going to buy from us? What are our objectives for this year? And what problem are we solving? The other thing I might put on there, depending on the project, is the tone of voice. Kind of how do we define what we're going to say? And I use a very simple thing for that. I, I love using celebrity spokesperson. Name a celebrity that can kind of capture the tone of voice for the organization. And let, let the team decide that, right? So that people come up with it. 
because you can write lists of words. You know, you want, we want to be authentic. We want to be challenging. We want to be fun. Right. But if you say to someone, we want to speak yeah. to our customers the way Arnie spoke when he was governor, right? Anyone who's seen Arnie yeah. speak as governor gets that in their mind. And that kind of scales everywhere. It doesn't matter where they are in your organization. We talk to our customers like Arnie did when he was governor. Or we talk to our customers like a pub conversation. Or, you know, you get those sorts of, let's ditch all the jargon and just give it to something that people can use. Because if you don't make it usable, no one's going to use it, Mm -hmm. right? So I I used to say I do these simple one-page marketing strategies and, I found people didn't like paying for simple, so I changed the word to accessible. And if you can get your strategy into one page, you can then give it to everyone in the organization. And you say, print that out, put it next to you on the wall, right? Stick it here on the wall behind you. And then every day when people come in, they can go, all right, these are the customers we're targeting. This is what we're trying to achieve this year. I've got to write an email to a customer. We're going to do it like Arnie talked to people when he was governor. And you get all the information's yeah. there captured on one page and it's there and you can use it, right? So you make things usable, you make it accessible, you make it easy for people to understand. I have a thing, I, I call it the cath test. And I always say to people, I'm like, did they not teach you the cath test in school? And people look at me blankly. I'm like, the cath test, you know, K-A-T-H, cath test. Never heard of it. And you go, well, of course you haven't heard of it. Kath's my mum, right? And if she, she's 77 years old now. <laughs> if she can't understand it, we need to go back to the drawing board. And I have just once rung her up in a workshop and I was like, right, hold on. I am going to ring my mum here. So I got my mum on the phone, put her on speakerphone. I went, mum, I'm in a meeting. I go, here's a problem. Here's the thing. Here's what we're going to do. And she just suddenly, and then she went, Andrew, I've got no bloody idea what you're talking about. I was like, thank you, mum. No further questions. <laughs> and that was it, right? <laughs> we cut her off. And I was like, look, my mum doesn't get it. Now, I know she's not the target customer, but if she doesn't understand it, we've got to send this to somebody who lives 150 miles away. We want them to implement this. They're not going to be here to have me explaining it, to have you explaining it. Yeah. They need to pick this piece of paper up and go, I get this. So if it doesn't pass the cath test, yeah. it doesn't go anywhere, right? Let's boil it down to be simpler. So there's a lot of time in making things as, as simple as they can be, as accessible as they can be. Business is complex, right? Not everything can be A plus B equals C, but let's make it as simple as we can so everybody can buy into it and everybody can use it. So that's a really, really long answer, but that's one of the key ways I do is that make it as accessible as possible and make sure that strategy doesn't just sit in the top team. It's not just this document that the top team have and they pull out of the drive every now and again. It's a living thing that everybody sees, everybody buys into it, everybody's part of. I love it. I think that's great advice. And I love the, the plain speak too, I think is great. So, um, well, listen, before I let you go, you have a popular podcast of your own. It's called the strategy sessions podcast. Tell our audience about the show and where they can, where they can tune in. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much. I'm, listen, I'm, I'm always happiest when I'm talking about myself, right? So <laughs> it was a lockdown project <laughs> where I, I decided, look, I, I wanted to listen to some marketing podcasts. I had a bit more time during lockdown. And I started listening to a few and there was a lot of boring podcasts in marketing, right? A lot of, I, I, it makes it sound, this podcast makes it sound like I hate West Coast Americans. I don't, right? I've, I've been a couple of times and I love it. But there's a lot of podcasts by nasally West Coast out of San Francisco is going, hey, today we're going to talk you through how we built this thing. And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> And they're just so dry and so boring. Or And you can kind of, you can tell they're scripted and it's like, uh, so today I am reading yeah. this script and we are doing this thing. 
And the, or, the, or the other thing that a lot of podcasts do, especially in marketing, is they will have agencies, consultancies interviewing people they want to work with. And, you know, it's like, hey, let right. me tell you how wonderful yeah. we are because we want to pitch. You know, it's like a soft pitch. And you're like, look, lads, I know it yes. works, right? Because it maybe gets you in the door. But you're not adding. When I was at university, my, my lecturer used to talk about your, your thesis should be like a grain of sand on a beach. It's like, but it all sort of adds to the knowledge over time. So I was like, how do I add a grain of sand onto the beach now by sharing knowledge? And I was like, right, we're going to have a long form podcast. It's an hour long. I'm going to interview great marketers from wherever great marketers come from um, and around the world and just get them talking about marketing and what people can learn from that. So I, I did two, I'm in the middle of the second season at the minute. So there's, a, what, there's 25 in the first. I think I'm up to 10 so far in the second season. And it comes out every fortnight. You can find it in uh, all the usual places, Apple, Spotify, Google. It, it's kind of pushed to all, all um, podcast channels anyway. So it's strategy sessions. It comes out every two weeks, and it's an interview-based podcast with marketers, academics, some of them. Some of them are, you know, a lot of people who are working, CMOs, fairly senior people. A lot of lessons we talk about, you know, mistakes you made, what did you wish you knew 15 years ago, all that sort of stuff. So uh, I love doing it. I just love, as you've probably talk, probably noticed, I love talking about marketing. So it's great. It's been the best thing I've ever done. Oh, I love it. I love it. It's, this is my favorite part of my job too. So, all right. So the last thing uh, we were talking off air I just realized this episode, I think it's going to come out right around the time of Brighton SEO. You're keynoting. Yeah. We, I just found this out. What, what are what are you going to be talking about? Um, so, jeez, uh, I hope no one listens to this podcast before Brighton SEO, because right? I've probably given away all the answers. But that, So the, the title of the presentation is Strategy versus Tactics, which is more important? And uh, look, the, the answer is, as I've already said, it's both. They're both equally important. But if you're going to be at Brighton SEO, pretend you didn't know that, right? Because um, So it's about... Yeah, look, it's about defining what we mean by some of these things and about understanding why tactics are important, understanding why strategy is important. And um, hopefully, marketers at various disciplines like sitting and throwing things at each other, don't they? You know, you've got the SEO guys on one side and the PPC guys on the other side yep. going, we're better than you, we're better than you. We've got PR at one side and we've got marketing on the other side going, oh, we're better than you. Yep. And you've got all of this going on. And actually, maybe when we all get together and we all kind of hug it out, when we work together, things get better. So that's the that's the approach. That's what we're going to be talking about. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be huge. So uh, this is everyone's favorite part of the show. This is where Greg gives me a question for the guest with no context. Ooh. So I don't know anymore. And it can be kind of a high wire rack for both of us. So for Andy Jarvis, he says, "Dad joke tweets." Does that <laughs> ring a bell to you at all? Dad joke tweets. <laughs> Sorry, I, this is something I just was not prepared for. Um, <laughs> yeah. So look, I, I love I love a bad dad joke, right? I just think they are uh, they they're brilliant. They they make my life better. The bad jokes and um, not even jokes, something like visual comedy as well. I saw one yesterday, which was uh, so yesterday was uh, it's the second of March today. So yesterday was the first of March. And it's kind of a joke in three parts. It's a visual one, but hopefully it'll work when I tell you it. Um, a guy says to a girl in the first first part, when's your birthday? In the second part, she says, March 1st. And in the third part, he then starts marching around the room, stomping his way around going, okay, that's a bit weird. So when is your birthday? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I've killed that by trying to explain it. But 
stupid stuff <laughs> like that just has the capacity to me just to go, ah, oh, mate, I love it, right? I love it. And the best thing about dad jokes is you can, Christmas cracker jokes, which I think are more of a British thing than anything else, right? You, do you have Christmas crackers in America? I don't know what that no, is. No. Right. So it, it's a, a British tradition, right? On Christmas Day, you have these, uh, these crackers, you pull them apart. They always have some terrible gift in them, like tiny, tiny things. Um, and they always have a bad joke in them. But the thing with bad jokes ah. is that, oh God, I'm getting really boring now. But the thing with comedy is that <laughs> you tell a joke, you immediately divide a room into two parts. People who get the joke and people who don't get yeah. the joke. Yeah. So all Christmas cracker jokes are terrible jokes and really like dumb, stupid humor because you've got, you know, you've got a four-year-old around the Christmas table and you've got your 85-year-old granny around the Christmas table. So you have to tell a joke that works for everybody. So to do that, you just need a joke that everybody can get. So they're often stupid, daft humor. And everybody's kind of like, oh, no, isn't it? So you unite everybody and that's why they work and that's why they're there. And it's the same thing. You take that approach to conference speaking, right? You can make jokes from the stage. You know, Greg does, I do. But you start making highbrow mm -hmm. humor and you split the room straight away. And people who are like, I get that. Yeah. And people who are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So by using dad right. jokes, which I love anyway, you immediately unite the room into this kind of, ah, we all get that. Even if, they're, even if it's just a, oh, that's ridiculous. But by because everybody gets it, you're all in the same place. So that's why I like them. And, and they make me laugh as well. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'll, I'll tune in for more. Um, listen, Andy, I got to sign off for now. Thanks so much for coming on. We'll be back next week for another episode of Suds and Search. But I'll give you a virtual cheers and hope to catch up with you on the road sometime. Cheers, Mark. Thank you very much. I should be in the U.S. I'm going to search Love in Philly. I know that's not exactly close to Chicago, but oh. one day, one day I'll get there and come and say hi. Wonderful, wonderful. Hope to do it in, re in real life sometime soon. Perfect. Cheers, Mark. Thank you for having me.